Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Hey, take your Bibles and turn with me. I have a special message for you today, and it's found in 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 17 through 29. I've been doing a series entitled... The Blessed Family, I'll get back to that series at a future date. But today is a special word. <clears throat> and so let's read it together. 1 Kings 21, 17 through 29. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Any King Jamers here? One. Thank you very much. <laughs> let's read. <clears throat> then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thou thus saith the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, This says, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Then Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning, Is- and concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, And the birds of the air shall eat whatever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Because Jezebel his wife stirred him up. And he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done. When the Lord had cast out before, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days, but in the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is a lamp. It is a light. It gives us revelation. So I pray for revelation today so that we know how to live and what you want us to do. I pray, O oh God, that you would cause me to flow in the power of your spirit, that I might speak your word with power, quicken my mind and my spirit, that that which is said will bring glory to your name. I pray, Holy Ghost, you will come upon this congregation 
And that, Lord, we'd be changed by your word. Give us ears to hear and a heart to respond and eyes to see. And we'll be sure to thank you for all that you've done in our lives as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Beyond living holy, there are three behaviors that should be a part of the Christian life. And Jesus describes them in Matthew chapter 6. Let me share them with you. The first is giving. Everybody say giving. It's found there in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, and Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Secondly, it's praying. Everybody say praying. Now, the, the ushers have notes for you. If you want them, just raise your hand. Um, that way you can take this message home with you. The second one is what? Everybody say praying. What? Praying. And the third, found in Matthew 6, 16 through 18, is fasting. Now, besides living a holy life, these are the three things believers should be doing. They're visible expressions of our faith. In all three of these actions that... <clears throat> Uh, a believer takes, Jesus is deeply concerned about the motivation behind what we do. In fact, he calls us to face, and I want you to write this down, Godward. Everybody say Godward. Everybody say Godward. Instead of manward. You say, now what are you talking about? In other words, when you're, ta when you're giving, when you're... When you're uh, praying when you're fasting your attention is to give glory to God not to uh, elevate your own pride everybody understand what I'm saying it's not to get the praises of men it's to glorify God and you'll notice that all three actions get God's attention yes living a holy life gets his attention but these three things get God's attention and one of the great proofs of this is the story found in Acts chapter 10 of a Gentile centurion by the name of Cornelius. When you read Acts 10, verses 2 and 3 in Acts 10, 30, you'll notice that he prayed. He was a giver. He gave a lot to build synagogues for the Jews. He's a Gentile, but he's a giver to God. He prays, and he was fasting up until about 3 o'clock that day when an angel appears and tells him to go over and get Peter uh, and to have Peter come to his home. And Peter came, as you know the story, in Acts 10, Peter began to preach and God poured out his spirit upon the Gentiles and folks like us get to be a part of the church today. Somebody say hallelujah. Well, he was giving, he was praying, and he was fasting. And you'll notice that... <clears throat> I share on giving and I share on praying, but once a year during this time at the beginning of the year, when we choose to fast 21 days, or at least put that aside to fast, I preach on fasting. And I want to talk today on fasting, getting God's attention. Now, as you look at our text, you'll notice something very, very interesting. God's attention was on Ahab, but it wasn't because he was doing good. He was evil. 
very, very evil, and God was about to level him with judgment. Jezebel, his wife, had um, gotten Naboth, a neighbor of King Ahab, murdered. Now, why she murdered him was because her husband, King Ahab, wanted the vineyard that Naboth owned. And Naboth wouldn't sell it to him. So Jezebel decides, I'll get it for my husband. I'll have him with false charges get him stoned to death. And then my husband will get the vineyard. Well, Ahab was delighted over these events and went to Naboth's vineyard to claim it. But God had a surprise for him. Now keep in mind, people probably didn't know what had actually happened. What had happened is Jezebel had given false testimony, and she didn't, but she had some bad guys get up and give false testimony about how, how uh, Naboth had blasphemed and, and, and talked bad about the king. All of that was lies, and the people stoned Naboth to death. So she was in the shadows. Nobody knew it was her that did all that, but God did. And God speaks to his prophet Elijah and says, I want you to meet, I want you to meet King Ahab at Naboth's vineyard and give him my word. Well, Elijah gives Ahab a horrifying word of judgment. And it's going to affect Ahab's whole family. Listen to the various parts of that judgment. To Ahab, God said, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, Dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Verse 19. And then in verses 21 and 22, God says, I'm going to destroy every member of your family, Ahab. And then in verse 23, it says, The dogs will eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And then God goes on and says Ahab was the most evil of kings of Israel because of Jezebel's influence there in verse 25. And he begins to tell us why Ahab was so evil. He worshipped idols. In fact, all the evil things that the Amorites did before Israel even came into Canaan's land this kingdom of Israel was now doing. And it was that reason why the Amorites were, were vomited out of the land and why judgment came on them. Now the very judgment of, that came on the Amorites was about to come on Ahab and his household. And you say, well, what happened? Well, Ahab's response is amazing. It's shocking to me. You know what he does? He fasts and puts sackcloth on there in verse 20. Now here's the most evil of kings Israel has ever had. Married to the evil woman Jezebel. And when judgment is about to clobber him, he does something. He fasts. He humbles himself before God. And guess what God does? God postpones the full judgment because Ahab fasted. Wow, the power of fasting. Now, what is fasting and how is it seen in the Bible? Well, fasting is simply the abstaining from eating. And in some cases, it's even the abstaining from water. You see it only on one occasion when Esther 
fasted three days without food and water. I don't recommend that at all. It's quite dangerous. But the fasting was the normal thing, was not eating food. And it can go on for various time periods. For example, you'll notice that um, Cornelius fasted till about three in the afternoon. And it was at that time that that angel appeared and told him to uh, get, get Peter to preach to him. You'll notice that there were many times people would fast from sunrise to sunset. Interesting, the Muslims still do that today during Ramadan. And oftentimes Christians will do the same. They'll fast from sunrise to sunset. Some will fast for a complete day, a 24-hour day. Some will fast three days, some seven days. Daniel fasted 21 days with a limited diet of not eating any meat or sweets. And Jesus and Elijah and Moses all fasted 40 days. So there's many different time frames. All of the ones I just spoke to you about are all in the Bible. Now what's interesting is that these fast times can be corporate or they can be, or individuals can fast. Now what do you mean when I say corporate? Well, there were times when all of Israel would fast. For example, every year on the Day of Atonement, Israel fasts. Uh, there were certain calamities that had happened to Israel, and they would commemorate those calamities, like the falling of, of the city of Jerusalem, like the destroying of the temple, and other moments in history that were grievous to the Jewish people. They would fast on those days from that point on as a sign of their grief. There were times of distress that would, would come upon Israel. For example, you would notice that... Um, they would fast when enemy armies were about to come. You'll, you'll notice Jehoshaphat. Here he is, he's having to face three allied armies. Overwhelmingly huge numbers. He would not in any way be able to beat them. So he comes to the Lord and fasting and praying and seeking God's face. During times of great distress, all of Israel would come and fast. And individuals would do the same. In times of drought, they would fast and pray. And in fact, you'll notice Esther fasted because the Jewish people in, in, in Babylon at the time were facing annihilation. But the key to fasting is that it's an act of humbling. It's humbling oneself before the Lord. You'll notice this even in the passage we read in 1 Kings 21-29. God says to Elijah, see how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he's humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. But in the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on them. Now here's what's interesting. That was an act of humbling. An act of humbling. It was an act of, of it could be an act of grieving. David, uh, King David grieved. Uh, over, the, over the death of King Saul and his close friend, uh, Prince Jonathan. And you'll notice that it can be an act of repentance, that the, the fasting is a brokenness before the Lord. That's why in Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and I will, I will 
heal their land. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. When he says, if they humble themselves and pray, he's talking about fasting. If a people will fast and pray, God will hear from heaven. If they'll turn from their sins, if they choose to seek his face, which is all a part of fasting, he will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now what is interesting is that fasting is an expression of desperation by which we're asking God to intervene on our behalf. It could be to bring healing as it was when King David, his firstborn son from Bathsheba, was sick and he prayed for healing and he fasted. It could be you're needing favor at a job or favor in an endeavor and you fast and pray as Ezra did. Or maybe you're needing deliverance from the power of the devil. Or maybe a loved one is needing to be set free of demonic bondage. You'll notice that there was a man who brought his son to the disciples to have, him, have them cast the demon out of him, but they weren't able to. And Jesus came and he cast the demon out and the disciples said, how come we couldn't cast it out? Well, the King James Version mentions about this incident and Jesus says, this can only come out by prayer and fasting. Sometimes there's a necessity for us to begin to bunker down or, and get into the very nature of what we need to have happen. God's got to intervene. And we express that by fasting. You'll notice that there are many other examples of this. One would be revelation. For example, you'll notice that um, the Daniel in Daniel 10 was needing a revelation from God. That's why he fasted 21 days. And finally, at the end of that 21 days, an angel appears and says, I was sent by God the moment you started to pray, but I was hindered from coming to you by the prince of Persia. That one verse there in Daniel 10 shifted my whole awareness of reality. I realized, look, there are principalities and powers. No one human being could prevent an angel because an angel during King Hezekiah's time killed 185,000 soldiers. You don't want to mess with an angel from God. So what was it that prevented the angel from God from getting to Daniel. It was another angel, a fallen angel of great power, a principality, the prince of Persia, and attempted to stop the message from getting to Daniel because that message would release the will and purpose of God for all of history. Listen to me. There are times you're facing not human problems, you're facing demonic problems. And the way you win is by fasting and praying and getting revelation and seeking God. One of the interesting things that I noticed was the fact that when Paul would raise up elders in the churches that he started, they had a time of fasting and praying. I believe it had to do with when they laid hands on them, the anointing would be that when they gave them to the Lord and uh, ordained them when they said, look, you are going to be leading this church. You're going to need the power of God. So they would fast and pray. 
Because, you know, you might ask the question, well, why, why fasting? I mean, hello, can't we do something else? What about, well, why is that? Well, I've, I've had a lot of time to think about it over the years. And what I think it is, is because our natural desire for food is so strong in us, and it should be strong because it's a protective measure that God put in us to keep us from starving. So it's there. When you don't have an appetite, you're in trouble. So an appetite is God's way of protecting us. But because it's so strong, when we are fasting, we are saying to God, just as my body hungers for food, so my soul hungers for more of you, God. And it's distinct. Boy, when you get tired and you, are you, you know, you're sitting watching a TV program and they have these food commercials and your body, your mouth starts to salivate. It's not a good thing. Or when your wife's cooking something and it smells so good and you're going, ah! It's at those moments you stop and say, Lord, may my soul yearn for you as much as my body yearns for food. Well, I believe God is speaking to us. I believe he's speaking to us as a nation. Do you believe that? Say amen. As a nation, he's speaking to us from 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. You know, I want you to know something. At every election... People in the nation make choices. And I want you to know something. God allows people to make choices. That's why we live in a democratic society. It's because we believe in the power of choice. And God allows people to make decisions, to choose. And some of those decisions are good and some of those decisions are bad. We've had a lot of bad decisions made in our nation over the years. When the Supreme Court ruled that no longer could children in a school pause and pray. When the Supreme Court ruled that the unborn child was just a glob of tissue and not a real person and could be killed and sacrificed. And millions and millions and millions of unborn babies have been slaughtered in our nation. The stench of that has come before God. When our nation has given itself over to horrible sexuality, you can see almost anything you want to see on the internet today or in movies. And we've literally become a nation of fornicators and adulterers. Marriages have been destroyed. And now our Supreme Court has even ruled about destroying what marriage truly is from God's perspective. If any nation should be judged, it should be America. And here's what you have to understand. Please hear me. Whatever you choose in terms of who you elect, you're going to reap what you sow. It doesn't matter. What you choose always determines your future. Now listen to me, please. If you choose on a personal basis to do evil, it doesn't matter if anybody knows about it. You're going to reap what you sow. 
It's a law from God. Now, you say, Pastor, that's pretty depressing. Well, listen to me just a second. Our nation deserves judgment. It really does. We've blown it. We've done a lot of stuff. The greed is horrendous. And on and on and on. But I got some good news for you. Well, forget it. I won't tell you. I said I've got some good news for you. There is hope. Everybody say, there is hope. And the hope isn't who the president is. And the hope isn't who our senators are. And the hope isn't who our Congress is or even our judges. The hope is in God. Now, we put on our coinage in God we trust. Now, listen to me, because uh, I've, you know, as I'm, I'm older than some of you. I'm 71. And I remember clearly, clearly, clearly back in 1960 when uh, uh, John F. Kennedy and Nixon were running. I was in the Philippines at the time. I was about 10 years old. And I was watching the television set. And, um, and uh, JFK became the president. And it was interesting to me that the people, I was in a boarding school at the time in Manila. And um, uh, all the folk in the boarding school were so grieved because they were all for Richard Nixon. And, uh, you know, I, I look back on that time and God in his mercy didn't depend on who, who, who was the president at the time. God had mercy on our nation and brought us through a number of challenges. The, the starting of the Vietnam War and all of these things and the riots that happened in the 70s on the campuses. and all, He brought us through all of that. We all thought the world was going to fall apart, yet God brought us through. And so there's hope. Now let me tell you where the hope lies. Are you still with me? Are you really with me? First off, I get encouraged by the conversation Abraham had with God. God appears to Abraham with two angels and says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, he's quick, he says, because his, his nephew lives there a lot. And so he says, well, God, look, if there's 50 righteous people, will you still kill all those people if there's 50 righteous in the city? God says, if there's 50 righteous, I'll spare the city. And so Abraham gets him all the way down to 10. He, said, he says to God, God, if there's 10 righteous people in this city, will you spare the city? And God said, yes, I'll spare it. Interesting, Abraham didn't go any lower than the 10. I'm sure he assumed 10 people, there's got to be 10 people in that city that are righteous. There weren't. There was only Lot and even his two daughters. And later on, you find out they weren't very righteous either. There wasn't any righteous people in the city. God destroyed it. Only spared Lot and his two daughters because even his wife turned back. Lot's wife was because of Abraham. There were no righteous people, so I think about it. If the church, you and me, we live like we're supposed to live as righteous people, there's a God in heaven that will intervene on our behalf. Come on, somebody. God will intervene on our behalf. But secondly, oh my, my, my. If Ahab, think about it, Ahab, the worst, most evil king of all of Israel. If Ahab by his fasting and praying could postpone 
judgment. Surely if God's people will fast and pray and call out to God, God can postpone the judgment. I believe God's speaking to us as a nation that the church must arise. The church has no business putting their head in the sand and thinking, well, it doesn't matter. It's the job of the church to always be the salt and light in a community. And no matter who's in power, no matter what's going on, we stand as a light in a dark place. We're going to stand for righteousness. We're going to live righteously. And we're going to fast and we're going to pray and see God turn things to good. Somebody say amen. I'm going to pray for the president no matter who he is. I've prayed for every president that I knew of ever since I was a young man. And I will pray, and I'll pray for my senators, and I'll pray for my congresspeople, and I'll pray for my mayors and my governors, and I'll pray for them because God tells us to. Are you hearing me? Be careful when you get so political that you forget who you are. You need to be a good citizen and be political. No question. You should vote. You should stand for what you believe is right. But please, don't get like the world and get so angry that you do stupid stuff. Smile at me. I'm preaching good. You be the righteous man or woman. You pray. You seek God. You believe the best is yet to come. Somebody say amen. amen. Yes, we deserve judgment, no question. But I, my hope is in God. And I'm going to try to live righteous. I pray you do. And I'm going to fast and pray. And God's going to intervene. But as individuals, we can have breakthrough in our personal life. But we must humble ourselves. We need to fast and pray. I don't know what you face. I don't know what problems you face. But I'll guarantee you something, that if you'll humble yourself before the Lord, you take time to fast and pray. You watch what God will do. As a church, we need to fast and pray. We need to receive God's strategy. We need to fulfill God's purposes. That vision there, Vision 500, that's impossible to do. That's impossible in the natural. The vision before it, the one, two, three vision was impossible. The vision before that, the 12, 12, 12 was impossible. They've all been impossible. You say, well, why do you do it, Pastor? It's because it's not by my strength or my power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And we are declaring what we believe God can do through us. Somebody say amen. You say, Pastor, I'm not like you. I can't fast. I can't pray like that. I'm, I'm a wimp. Well, let me tell you my first experience with fasting. I share it almost every year, but it marked my life. I was living in the Philippines at the time. I was a senior in high school. I was an athlete, lettered in four different sports. And um, a family from the mainland came, an American family, came to our church in the Philippines. The father was working in the State Department in Vietnam. 
So the family lived in Manila, and they began attending our church. Well, they were on fire for God. Their names were the Velas. Never forget them. And um, they, they were so on fire that they, they, they I, I, was, I loved God, but I'd never been filled with the Holy Spirit. They encouraged me to get filled with the Spirit, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit in their home one night. And then they, they encouraged me. They said, you need to fast. You need to learn to fast. Now, I had no interest in fasting. I wanted big muscles. I wanted to be a good athlete. I didn't want to fast. So they challenged me to fast one day, and I'll never forget that one day. My first day to ever fast. Boy, I had a headache. My stomach ached. My muscles hurt. And I'll never forget, I stayed up till 12 midnight, waiting for it to strike 12 with two Twinkies in my hand, one on each hand, ready to stuff it down my throat. That was my first day I had ever fasted. So uh, take courage. You couldn't do as bad as me. But I tell you what, from that time I learned to fast and pray. And seek the Lord. And what I'm asking you to do is to commit yourself to do something. I'm not asking you to pray for 21 days if you can't do that. I don't want anybody dying on me. Some of you are on medication. Some of you are, you know, have certain kind of physical problems. You can't do that. But you can do something. It may be one meal. It may be what Pastor Colleen's doing as a Daniel fast. Or it may be a day, one day a week. Or whatever it is. But take this time, this 21 days or the whole entire month of January and set it aside and say, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord. You know, it needs to be a time where we actually seek the Lord. We take time to pray. Don't just fast and not pray. Fast and pray. Some of you need to start to say, Pastor, I need to pray more. So take time during this month. Be at the early morning prayer meetings. We have a great crowd that comes, but there's room for you. People are watching by streaming all over. They can't make it to the prayer meeting. We have a group that comes here at 4.30 in the morning to pray, from 4.30 to 5.30. We have another group that comes from 5.30 to 6.30. They pray individually, and then at 6 o'clock we gather together and we pray corporately. People all over. I have people all over the mainland that are watching. In fact, I called Pastor Robert Sahagan there on Molokai. He said, Pastor, every morning our people are with you in prayer that we're streaming you live into Molokai at the prayer center. And it goes on and on like that. But what about you? If you never commit yourself to take time to pray, you never will. If you never commit yourself to fast, you never will. Because everything in the natural is reverting against it. The enemy doesn't want you to pray. The enemy doesn't want you to fast. He's nervous when a church says we're going to fast and pray because he knows what's going to happen. His power will become limited and the power of God will be on display. Hey, this is your time. You say, Pastor, I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't signed up yet. Please sign up. There should be in your bulletin a card for the special prayer time, Revive 21. 
Fill it out. We're going to be receiving our missions offering today since we didn't do it last Sunday. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just put that card in there. Write out what you're going to do. And then I'm, this week I'm making up a prayer letter. And I'll include you in that prayer letter to send it to you so you can pray for some of the things I'm praying about as a church. Are we in agreement? Say amen. amen. Would you stand to your feet? I hope the word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.